This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cradwell! Oh, it's fluid! Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Jamie Sendles White. Quite the popular character during his Swindon career. It all started with QPR, where he was a youth and a pro. He spent some time on loan with Colchester and Mansfield before joining Hamilton in the Scottish Premier League in 2015. It was after Hamilton that he joined Swindon. He played 15 times before a cruel and serious injury ruled him out for the rest of his contract and he was released at the end of the 2016-17 season. After that, a short spell at Leighton Orient, St Albans and Torquay United where he helped the Devon side win the National League South. Jamie was brilliant to talk to, he was very generous with his time and he spoke very honestly about how hard it is to maintain a career in professional football and the good times and the bad times that he's had along the way. It was great to have him on and I'm really grateful for that. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Are you okay? I am very well, thank you. Thank you very much for agreeing to take part in this podcast. Absolute pleasure. 
<laughs> okay, so standard question, as I say every time, but I'm in a routine now, Jamie. Who did you support as a kid and who were your heroes when you were growing up? Um, I, I'll throw a strange one out there, actually. I supported Sheffield United, believe it or not, because um, my dad's from up there and uh, he drilled it into me when I was younger. Took me to all the games. Well, the games we could get to. So yeah, that was that was a uh, that was a good experience because it was uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh, it's never been like a Premier League consistent club since I've since I've been supporting them. So it was it was nice to to go around to to sort of the Championship grounds and obviously League One grounds as well. Um, they had a couple of years in the Premier League, but it was uh, no, it was good. It was a good experience and um, sort of I, I sort of fell in love with the club really. Mm-hmm. And probably some of my some of my idols when I was growing up, I'd probably have to say Phil Jagielka was one of them. You then away from there, you probably got the likes of John Terry, Rio Ferdinand that, that, um, that I absolutely love watching and, and trying to learn from. But I think my main one was, was Phil Jagielka just because I, I supported Sheffield United. Sheffield United have, a f- there's a few links with Swindon that always spring to mind whenever they're mentioned. Of course, there was the 5-5 draw a few years ago and, and Sheffield United were the first team that Swindon played in the Premier League um, oh, really? as well yeah yeah uh, we lost but uh, <laughs> but it was still a very big day how does your football experience begin so before we go to QPR what was your junior football experience like because this is something that you're hugely into now you've got you're just starting up a company where you're coaching the future of, of football so to speak so what was your experience like my experience was really good probably like any any other lads growing up you just want to you just want to play football at any opportunity and I remember probably I, I couldn't remember the age now but I was probably playing one game on a Saturday two games on a Sunday um, and I just couldn't get enough of it um, I played for my first team was called a team called Wongas. They're uh, like a local team, strange name, but that's what they were called. That was my first team, um, and then I went on to play for Sutton United, so that wasn't too far from where I'm from. And then from there, I, I'd had sort of from from a young age, I was always going in for trials at, at the clubs around here, Chelsea, Fulham. Part of me, I just wanted to enjoy it, and I think when you go into to clubs too early, because uh, I had a few friends that have been the whole way through, and I think they find that. The pressure on them for such a young age, it's hard to take. So I just wanted to enjoy it. And, and obviously, I was desperate to be a footballer. Um, and luckily, QPR came around uh, at the age of 15. So I was, I was probably quite late in terms of going into the, the youth setup. But I signed there at 15 and obviously went, went right through for six years there. Being a native of London, is it is it good all bad in the sense of trying to get spotted because yeah there's a lot of clubs but there's also a lot of people in London all trying yeah. to get trials so is it a help or a hindrance being being based in in London I'm not really sure to be honest I think it can work both ways because there's such a large amount of clubs and obviously you've got loads of lower league clubs as well in London there's there's a big filter down so if you don't maybe make it at the top ones Chelsea Tottenham Arsenal you've got others to fall back on because obviously you've got right down to well, you've got AFC Wimbledon, which is in Kingston, which is where I'm from. So there's a lot of clubs. But like you said, there's so many young kids that are desperate to 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 get into those clubs and make it. It's tough in that sense. But obviously it worked out for me. And I'm probably I'm sure there's probably a lot more that it's, it's not worked out for. And, and they've not, not managed to get into that environment. I've said it a few times that when I used to play junior football in the 90s, I was a 
bang average centre back, and I, I was a, a uh, <laughs> uh, I was your quintessential if in doubt it out, and that's how we were coached in the nineties. I hasten to add as well. When did you become a centre back? I started in centre mid, probably when I had the legs to do so. I was running around and getting up and down, and then I moved to right back. I didn't, I didn't particularly like right back because I felt there was a lot of running there. And you don't really get to see too much of the ball. But then I think as I got older and I started to get bigger, I think it sort of naturally came to me to, to go into centre-back. But through my whole time at QPR, I probably played, I don't know, I probably played every position, bar striker, I think. Played right and left wing-back, right and left-back, centre-back, centre-mid. So, you know, I, I, I love being able to play different positions, but I think overall it's probably the best thing that I stay, stay at the back stay out of trouble your goal scoring record supports this <laughs> exactly exactly i stay as far away from the other goal as i possibly can <laughs> i was rubbish in every other position because i just drifted back into the center regardless <laughs> of where i was i was like if i was playing right back i would just drift towards the center of defense and if i was in midfield i'd center <laughs> i'd drift even if i was center mid i just drift straight back to defensive midfield <laughs> yeah. into center back again yeah. so i, I could... know the <laughs> it's Gladwell! Join QPR when you're 15. Can you remember the the process of of joining the club? Yeah, it was um it was over a summer uh, off off obviously off from school, and I'd been on trial at Chelsea for probably my maybe my third time through my for childhood, and I was there for I think about six weeks, and then from there they said that they wouldn't they wouldn't be offering me a contract, and I forget now how I got in touch with. With QPR, I think it was a scout called Noel, but I'm not 100 percent sure, so don't don't hold me to that. But he he brought me in, um, and I think I was on trial for two weeks tops. I think before signing there, I signed obviously schoolboys for the under 16s. It was going into the under 16s, and it was it was new for me in a sense that I'd signed somewhere and and I was actually officially signed there and 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 I could just sort of get my head down and my attitude was let's just see how far I can go I'm desperate to have a career as a footballer so let's see let's see where it, where it takes me and what was the setup like for you when when you when you joined up who were your coaches um who was in the same age group as you who may have progressed in the football league um so my coach my first coach was was Mark Bertram, um, who's a QPR legend, and it was it was I think it was one of his first coaching jobs. So it was great to sort of learn off him and have him coaching you and and see sort of his first steps in in management, if you like. And there were there were some some good players actually from my age. Um, there's a few from the year below that are still playing there now, like Darnell Furlong, obviously, who came on loan to Swindon, but probably. The biggest name was Raheem Sterling. He was a year below me, but he always played up, played with the youth team, under-18s. And he was just, you could tell then he was on another level. And you just sort of hoped that he would get that chance because he was that good. You, you, you see so many now where they're so good. And for whatever reason, they don't actually fulfil their potential. But it's it's good to see now that he's obviously one of the best players in the Premier League at the minute and, and for England as well. So that's that's nice to say that I've, I've played with him when, when we were in uh, the under-16s. I'd love to talk about Raheem Sterling, but I'm still more interested in Mark Bircham's hair. Were you ever influenced? <laughs> no, he'd, uh, he'd got rid of that hair by the time he was coaching. <laughs> um, 
I think lucky for him, he might have got a bit of stick from from the boys, but no, he got rid of that hair. I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, clearly worked for him. We've all made mistakes in our youth. Um, <laughs> I think he played for Canada as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I think I think he was the only player to have played for Canada that had never been there. I think that was his <laughs> I'd do the same, to be honest. If oh, it... so would I. <laughs> okay, then. So you're at QPR now. So I'm always interested in the YTS experience, to be honest, because I. We don't. I don't ever really understand how how it works, and every club has a different different routine. So a lot of college, um, a lot of training, a lot of tidying up and cleaning boots. What was the day to day like at QPR? It was definitely very enjoyable, and I think your first year in it, especially, is something so different and something that you've never experienced before. Um, just sort of going in, training, playing football every day being around, you know, some of the big names that were there at the time. And obviously you you, you, you feel you really feel like a little fish because you're there and, and you think, Oh, I've done really well for the under sixteens and I'm I'm the main man. And then you go into that that sort of almost first team environment and it's um it's very daunting. But no, it was very enjoyable. Um, we had a good we had a very good group of boys as well for my age group so it was just it was just getting in there and again like I said I just wanted to see how far I could go with it and yeah at the time we we obviously had to do loads of jobs clean boots um, which I don't think you're allowed to do anymore I might be wrong I think they've changed the rule on that you can't clean boots I don't know why Um, because I'd love to get mine clean when I'm playing but mine don't get out to clean them myself Um, but no, we had to clean boots. We had jobs. I was, I was on goalkeepers' balls and equipment. I was on, um, which was never fun because they always had so much equipment out. It was so heavy. No, it was all. It's all learning. It's all sort of, it's discipline as well because it gets you ready for the game. Um, and I think there's, you you can you can, teach someone so much and you can, talk to them so much. But I think, it's it's that reality check of actually no, I've not made it. I'm still cleaning boots and I'm still taking equipment out for the first team. Um, and you sort of, you're there and you think, right, well, I can't wait to be in that first team now because I don't want to be doing this and I want to be there, a star, and I want to be playing in the first team every week. So it definitely trains you well to be humble and, and, and get to that first team. When you go into the under-18 side of things, do you have that sort of deadline day, find out whether you've got a pro deal or not? Or is it just like, because now that, Football clubs seem to be just keeping players at the club beyond 18 because they need them and development football is is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Or do you still have that moment where you go in one day and and then the coach comes down and says, we're deciding your fates today, so all sit in this room and wait to be called. What what was that like for you? Yeah, that is is the way that they do it. Um, I was was quite lucky. There was was a few of us that, that... signed our our pro contracts when we turned 17 so i was obviously done um a lot earlier than than most of the lads but it was the case they'd sit in a room or whatever and and the manager would say that that today you'll find out and they just sort of one by one going in finding out their fate um which i'm i'm lucky to have not been in that situation because I, i wouldn't have liked it at all i think i'd have been extremely nervous um but yeah, that, that's how they do it, and and I know it's. it's I think I, I think from my age group now, there's only uh, three of us that. Well, obviously I'm out of contract. The other ones out of contract as well, but that have sort of stayed in the in the pro game. 
Um, one of them is Bruno Andrade at, at Lincoln. Um, Frankie Sutherland, who was at Bromley last year, he's played a bit in the league, and obviously myself. Um, so it's it, it shows that the, the amount of players that will get to maybe youth team level and be good at youth team level, but won't won't get any further. From a QPR perspective, it's not exactly hard to understand why so many of your teammates struggled to establish themselves. Because when you look at the the senior squad when you're at QPR, it is quite full. So, I mean, you're at a club that's yo-yoing between the Premier League and the Championship um, when you're a pro. And you look at the senior players, so what, the defensive players during your career at QPR, you've got both the Verdinands, you've got Christopher Samba for a bit, Clint Hill, um, Nedem Onua, Ryan Nelson's there, uh, Tal Benayim, Richard Dunn, Alan, Aaron Hughes, a Kolka, even Stephen and Beer can play there. They're all play people that can play yeah. in your position. As a young footballer, do you see that as a challenge or do you think probably going to need to get out? <laughs> I think... I think you've got to be realistic with yourself sometimes and say, right, okay, am I going to play in front of these players? Probably not. Can I learn from them? Yes, definitely. So I think that's that's what we sort of said. And, and of course, in the back of your head, you think a couple of injuries and then a suspension and I might be able to get in there. But realistically, of course, I think that, that you need to get out and lo- on loan especially to play. But most of all, I think that you learn from these players. You train with them every day. You have to soak up as much as you can from them. Um, and I think the the game that I probably valued most when I was at QPR was there was a like a reserve game put on, um, and and a lot of the first team players that weren't um, playing in the first team at the time played in the game. And I was centre back with Rio Ferdinand. Um, and I know it's only a reserve game, but it, it's something that will stand, will stick with me because of the legend that he is and, and how much you can learn from him and and his dedication every day. And, and even in the game, he just he's just talking all the time. And he, he's just, I know it's a reserve game. It was a doddle for him probably, but it's, it's an experience that I'll remember and I've learned a lot from. Yeah, it's why you're at those sort of clubs, isn't it? To benefit from, from that sort of experience and beyond defence is absolutely loads so are you training with the first team during your time at QPR or do you do the development players get their own sort of part of the training facilities where they where they play yeah so there, there is there's training for obviously the first team and uh the 21s or 23s or whatever they call it so yeah you, you'd, you'd maybe spend a bit of time when I first went up I forget who the manager was now because there were so many but my time when Harry Redknapp was there I was probably with them most days more days than I wasn't with them but then you know with with Mark Hughes when he was there I barely got anywhere near the first team um, it was on a rare occasion that I trained with them so it's all very much down to the manager the first team manager at the time and the coaches that who they take a liking to and and who they want training with them every day so yeah like I said it's it's it, it varies definitely but when Harry Redknapp was there, I was I was with them most days, and and like I said, just training with them. You you realise how much better they are when you train with them because you become so sharp, you learn so much, and then you go back to the twenty ones for a day, and you think this is easy. I'm so much sharper than than I was before. 
Harry Redknapp's becoming something of a parody of himself as the reality TV stuff and the sponsorship <laughs> stuff and all sorts of stuff he's going through. He's at the end of his uh, football career, so he's entitled to do whatever he wants. No problem with that. But it kind of gets in the way of that once upon a time. He he was a genuinely respected manager, wasn't he, at mm. that level? Yeah, I think I think he'll he'll never lose that respect that he's that he's that he's got. He's obviously renowned for for being a top manager, and for whatever reason, I think maybe he just wants a, a new challenge in life. He's gone down the uh, the TV route, which again I don't blame him, and and uh, good luck to him with it. He seems to be doing pretty well, and he's done very well on I'm a Celebrity, so can't blame him. During your QPR career, you spent a couple of time, um, spent a couple of periods out on loan, um, Colchester without playing, and you got a good few games at Mansfield as well. When you go to somewhere like Colchester, who are no great shakes, they weren't exactly flying in the league, I don't think, when you went out there, either, over there either. Do you think to yourself, why aren't you playing me? The whole point of me coming out here is to play me, so bloody play me. What are the benefits and hindrances of, of loan spells? Is it pure benefit or can it sometimes be problematic? I think that the majority of the time, 90% of the time, they're a good experience and, and you definitely need to do it, especially as a, as a young player coming through. I think I was 18 when I went to Colchester. It was just being in that first team environment and saying, I am a first team player here. And it's just sort of learning the ropes, really. Like I, I went there and I was told, you know, you're going to go there as third choice. And if there's any injuries or, or suspensions when you're there, then you'll play. But I obviously didn't get that little bit of luck. But it was it was a, definitely a learning curve for me because I experienced what it was like to, you know, train every day, be involved in games where at that level people's people's mortgages and and sort of lives are on the line, livelihoods are on the line with it. Um, their win bonus, their appearance bonus, they're sort of they're not on incredible money. They'd still be on decent enough money, but it was something that definitely definitely hit me where these these players they need. They need to win today because they need that bonus to be able to pay their mortgage, to be able to pay their rent or to be able to look after their wife and kids. Um, so I think it depends how you look at it. And of course, you get some you get some stories where players go on loan and it's done them no good whatsoever. If anything, it's done them, done them some harm. But the majority of the time, I think it's a, a good thing. Finally for Smith, who finishes it once and for all. Okay, so leaving QPR was was it, it can't come as the biggest surprise in the world. No, I think I was I was um, certainly ready for a new challenge, and I knew that probably it was the end of the road for me at QPR when I left. And as as much as it was sad to be leaving because I'd been there for six years and I made some good friends there, it was definitely the right time for me to move on and and be involved in the first team somewhere because I got to that stage of my career where I was I wasn't I was sort of fed up of playing twenty ones football. It wasn't it wasn't really testing uh for me and I, I wanted a new challenge and, and to, to definitely play um at a higher level than what I was doing. Before we go to your next club, let's talk about Northern Ireland because you are quite well capped at youth and under twenty one level for the We Nation. How did you qualify for Northern Ireland? My mum my mum's born in Belfast, so that qualifies me. Um 
and I, I, I see it as a proud Northern Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it always the plan? Was it always Northern Ireland? I'm I'm going to play for Northern Ireland one day, or was it like I've got English, I got Northern Ireland, whoever calls, I'll take that call. <laughs> I think coming through, I think I was never never sort of uh in a running to play for England I never I never really had a sniff and it wasn't something that I'd ever really thought about playing for England and obviously I did know the Northern Ireland link and and also Republic of Ireland as well and initially at under 17s I started with Republic of Ireland but it didn't work out for me there and and then went straight over to Northern Ireland and luckily found my feet a little bit and, and managed to play quite a few games this is something that really winds a lot of people up and I can never understand it because if, for example, I had the option to play for England and Scotland, I'll keep that option open. I don't think a lot of people who don't have a multinational background really understand that it's not just a you were born in England and therefore you're English. You, you, uh, you, you can play for whoever the hell you want. If, yeah. like I said, if Canada, found, if I found out that my granddad was born in Montreal, I'd become the most Canadian person in the world and <laughs> away I go playing for Canada. You know, if I was a professional footballer, it's not about playing for the best team. It's, it's about playing for whoever, whatever's right and whoever offers you, you know, you uh, can't. And you, you play a lot. Majority of the time you're playing whole games. I mean, Northern Irish youth team they're going for a great renaissance at the moment oh. at the senior level they go they've gone to the european championships they're looking good to qualify again although they've got the tough legs of their uh, group stage to get through but they've done amazing to get through that what is the standard like at, at that level for northern ireland because i mean looking at the results you lose a lot but it's not necessarily yeah. about winning is it in in this stage it's about development yeah, no, of course. I think I think the main thing about going away with Northern Ireland was being able to play against some of the best players in the world for sort of your age group to maybe test and see where you are where you are actually in your own game. And it was always I always loved going away with them. It was such a good experience. And yeah, I, when I was there, we didn't exactly go through the best run of form. Um, I think I think maybe I was involved with the under 21s for a, for a four year period, maybe three or four year periods. But now they're they're absolutely flying now, and they're doing they're doing really really well. And I'm I'm glad to see it because a lot of um, a lot of hard work does actually go into into the the youth setup in, in Northern Ireland and the teams all the way through to the under 21s and now the first team. Um, so it's nice to see them doing really well. It would have been would have been even nicer if if we'd have managed to do that when I was there but um, no it was really good and really enjoyed my experiences with him. When I spoke to Billy Bowden we talked about his Wales under 21 career and his youth career in general and my god he had to go to some rubbish places when, <laughs> with Wales but you did all right you got um, you got a trip to Italy by the looks of it you got a trip to Belgium you got a nice trip to Cyprus uh, that's on Serbia no Serbia's at home so you got some nice you got some nice countries, a bit of sightseeing yeah. in there, if, if such a thing exists. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Uh, I was quite lucky with with the away games that I was involved in. I think probably the strangest place I went to was Macedonia. That was quite a shock. That was really odd. The food was terrible. Really, really strange place to be. But luckily enough, we played in their in their national stadium, which probably to this day is one of the best I played in it was absolutely unbelievable so that sort of made up for the for the bad food I think we lost 3-0 that day but 
we won't, we won't get onto that. <laughs> we will not talk about the results um, <laughs> during your time, but you did get to play, especially when we talk about Belgium and Italy. You got to play against some pretty decent players. Yeah, I know that some of those players are just incredible, and to see them now before to have played against them now before they actually kicked on and started playing at the very top top level, it was 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 good because I like I said I could test myself against them. I think that the, the toughest that I came up against was probably Batsuai, is it, from Chelsea. He was he was incredibly strong. You know, is you had to literally not switch off at all for the whole game playing against him. Um you had Yannick Carrasco as well for Belgium. Um so it, it was it was a really, really good experience being able to play against those sorts of players. Yeah, you also had the uh, the siblings to bigger players, but having great careers himself. I think they're brothers anyway. Torgan Hazard, I think you played against. Hazard yeah. and Lukaku. And yeah. Lukaku, Jordan Lukaku's at Lazio, for goodness sake, at the moment. So he's yeah. doing all right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So QPR, London, nice. The next step is obviously the most logical one, and that's Hamilton Academical up yeah, in exactly. Scotland. How did you end up up in Scotland? Weird story actually behind that one. I'd had I'd had a couple of offers, and they weren't anything again that I'd really wanted wanted to sort of uh, take. And I spoke to my best mate, who's who's actually in football as well, um, who'd just gone on loan to Rangers, uh, and they were in the Scottish Champ at the time. It was Dominic Ball, mm-hmm. and um, I spoke to him. Uh, and I just said, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I'm assessing these options. Hopefully something comes up that I really want to take. And he said, oh, where'd you say that? I'm just with someone now. Um, and he's just mentioned that Hamilton Academical are looking for a centre-back. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be up for that. I think it's a new challenge. It's, it's Scottish Prem. Um, it's certainly something that I'd be interested in. And then within about three or four days, I was flying up there met up with the manager, trained with them to see what it was like and, and signed off the back of it. And their manager, I believe, is is an Aki's legend in Martin Canning. What, yeah. what was he like? I mean, you've had elite English coaches um, down at QPR. I mean, English by the fact that they're in London, of course, Mark Hughes, um, Welsh. But, but what was Martin Canning like? He was... Um very very different to anything that I'd experienced before at the time he was a player manager so he didn't I think he only played maybe one or two games when I was there um, but it was a very different environment that I was that I'd been used to it was it was a uh, very very humbling to be there um, because I think that at a club like that where it's a very small Scottish Premier League team, it's it's a very tight knit group, and they're very very um, closed off to to anyone any outsiders. I would say, um, so it's very tough for me to um, to sort of get involved with with the group of lads. Um, and I think also by the manager still being a player that he played with the majority of that that group that were in there, they'd formed a bond, which is completely understandable. That I, I think was quite hard to to get involved in. If somebody was bored and they went on Wikipedia and looked through the squad lists of lower end SBL teams and and probably Championship teams, you will see loads of English guys playing <laughs> in in Scotland. And some of them they come from as as low as 
the National League. And I mean, like, there's been examples of players lower that have played in SBL for Partick Thistle, and then when they leave, they drop all the way back down to Gateshead or some or, or clubs like that. Um, it's, a, it's it's happening a lot. One of my uh, one of the guys I spoke to previously, Miles Story, he went up and played quite a lot of Scottish football, and he and he found some some pretty decent success there. What are the pros and cons for for footballers rolling the dice and and heading Scotland? Because I, to be honest, I like Scottish football. So, <laughs> no, I I think I think it, it's an incredible platform for any player to go up there. The the exposure you get is massive. They they have so much TV. Everyone everyone in in Scotland has a team. Is is that's the thing that I found? Everyone has a team. Everyone. Um, is obsessed with it up there. Um, you have so much coverage on TV. You know, you get to go to some incredible grounds. You, you've obviously got in in the in the SPL now. I think you've probably got the top five biggest clubs in Scotland back in in the in the league now. You've obviously got Hibs, Hearts, Celtic, Rangers, and Aberdeen. So those places are just amazing to go and uh, and play at. And even if you go and watch a game at, at Celtic or Rangers, you, you see the atmosphere is just unbelievable. So I think if you go up there and apply yourself, it can be a very, very good place to be. Having said that, probably the negatives is some clubs are very, like I said with Hamilton, they're very bonded and they're very tight-knit and they don't really like outsiders, I'll say. They don't really like outsiders coming in and, and sort of throwing their routine... Uh, around and and like it, it they, they, yeah they're not too interested in in people coming in and, and upsetting the, the apple cart. Now Richie he finds Ferry, beaten away by Colgan. Oh, it's loose! It's Ferry again, and that has surely sealed Twindon's place in round two. Well, that brings us to Swindon Town. But you had been on trial at Swindon before. You yeah. signed permanently. Was that before Hamilton? There was, there was, yeah. So I'd been on. Well, I'd flirted with Swindon a couple of times. We've in, all done in the that. Past. There was, there was one time when I was still at QPR, and it was just before I went to Mansfield on loan, um, and, and QPR wanted to get me out on loan, and uh, Swindon popped up, and it was a very small possibility that I could could have gone at that time I played a game like a reserve game for them to see whether that whether I'd fit into the mould um, but very shortly after that Mansfield came up and 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 I, I took it I think because I, I just needed to to get out and and wanted to play so I'm not sure if the Swindon thing would have materialised at all I would have absolutely loved it to but um, it wasn't to be and then when I left QPR I went back in again for for a couple of weeks um, and, and that didn't obviously happen unfortunately um, so then when I left Hamilton um, Luke Williams had been appointed as manager by then and, and he was sort of the one that showed the interest uh, the previous times um, and he's someone that I think saw something in me and, and wanted to get me to the club so I came down and he said he wanted to just see me train for a week or two and see where I was at. And luckily for me, I, I managed to come down and, and show him what he'd seen before and he signed me. When you are a young 
professional footballer and you've, you've only got about 14 league games under your belt at this stage. I think seven at Mansfield and seven at Hamilton. Um, is there any room for negotiation or are you just like, give me that contract, I'm going to sign it and I'm going to play? Yeah, I think especially with Swindon at the time, it was a club, like I said, that I'd seen play. I was absolutely desperate to, to get signed for Swindon. It was something that... I think ever since I'd seen them play, I said that that's a club that I want to be at. It's somewhere that I think would suit me, and and um, obviously with Luke Williams there as well, someone who is held in such high regard. Before I got to know him really well, obviously from my, from my actual time there, he was someone that I was desperate to work under, and he's someone that um, I know got the best out of every single player that he had. So when I came down from Scotland and went obviously up to Swindon, it was something where I said, I'm desperate to sign here and I, I, I just I just want to get playing and, 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 and join the squad sort of thing. So it's all well and good that you want to play for Luke Williams, but how did you manage to convince Luke Williams that he wanted you to play for him? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think obviously he'd known in the past, especially when he was at Brighton, we used to play the under-21s with QPR quite a lot. And I think he'd seen seen uh, glimpses of me there. I came down with the attitude of, that's it, I'm, I'm doing everything I can in this next couple of weeks to show that, I think it was probably about a week I was there. And I said, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to show to show this guy that I want to be here and, and I've got what it takes to play for Swindon. That's Let's keep the Luke Williams talk going because anybody that everybody that I've spoken to who worked with Luke Williams either as assistant or as manager has has been consistent in their praise. Never heard a bad word said about him and potentially that's what went wrong with Luke Williams as a manager because he was too nice, maybe, I don't know. But what was your relationship with like with, with Williams? Me and Luke have an uh, incredibly strong bond, I would say. He's a manager that gave me absolutely everything and wanted me to do so well. And um, he he really relates to every single one of his players, not just me, every single one of his players he relates to, not to mention that he's probably the best coach by a million miles that I've had and that I probably ever will have. Yeah, he, he was... Um, incredibly thoughtful and and um you know you could sit for hours and hours and hours after training just speaking to him about anything about life about football he he showed a keen interest in you know making sure that you were okay making sure your family's okay and um especially when i did my knee he was someone that uh that definitely kept me going i think through through the through the whole situation and he he sort of made me want to get back and work hard and and get back fit it just makes me so like maybe if we would have pointed him as like a, a director of football instead of the manager and he would have just pulled the strings from but like he essentially was doing and um, before he became manager it, it could have been so much different for his his career at Swindon which from an outsider looking in he never wanted that managerial job he always wanted to be behind the scenes and he took it on because of you know we were on our knees after what happened to obviously what happened to Martin Ling um, and there was there was probably an obligation that that he and Ross 
Embleton stepped up. But it just seems that he's a behind-the-scenes guy, and now he's in the process of making Bristol City millions of pounds every year through <laughs> through developing, and that's a sickener. And every time, every time I see him, he's been linked with a couple of lower league football sides recently, and I, I kind of think, go on, Luke, please just yeah. get out of there and stop making Bristol City loads of money. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's no doubt in my mind that he will he will end up being a top top manager, and I think. Because it was maybe his first job, I think he he was he was learning learning the ropes of being a manager, and I think it, he he maybe got put in in an especially tough situation where, for whatever reason, it, circumstances made it very very hard for him. But throughout that whole time, it, it, it was it was probably the best time I've ever ever had in football, just from the training, from the matches, from from everything from the changing room it was it was um something very very special and i think that you could probably speak to every single one of the players that has played with luke under his time at swindon and say that that's the that's the most they've loved football he, he just brought the love back and and i really honestly do feel that if he had been given that extra bit of time after the the relegation that following season i really do feel that he would have been a success so all this nice stuff about the squad all respected him, but how much stick did uh, Ormond Ottowell and uh, Balmy and uh, Traore get when they when they went on Snapchat? Uh, yeah, I think that was a very silly, silly, silly decision <laughs> from them. I, I, I don't really have many words to say about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's safe to say they got a, a slap on the wrist, which obviously I think you know some in every walk of life people mess up sometimes do something silly so yeah I think it was one of those situations I think they realised very very quickly what they'd done and um, I think they took their punishment and and sort of kept quiet for a few weeks we'll leave it at that (laughs) Swindon nothing to add to the tally at home it's threatening again it's another one it's Connell who strikes once more it's turning into a wonderful afternoon for him. It's turning into a wonderful afternoon for Swindon and Paolo Di Canio. They lead at last. Well, managers take their credit for substitutions if they work. And this one has certainly worked. Who were your allies when you first arrived? Who were your best pals? Who did you immediately go towards when, when you first arrived at Swindon? When I first came, I remember I, on, on, away, on away trips, I was sat next to Ellis because there was uh, Ellis Andalo, so there was a spare seat next to him. So we used to sit on the coach and have a laugh. But I, I'd probably say that I was I, I got on with every single player there. Um, there probably wasn't one, maybe a couple that I would say that I, I didn't really like too much. But no, it was a. It, like I said, it was a group of lads that were very warming and and such a nice group of lads. Yandelo's still here. I know. I know. I think he's the last one, isn't he? Last <laughs> one clinging on to it. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Everyone else has moved on to to wherever they've gone. But no, it was a, a great group of lads. Obviously, I, I was. I became very close with the the Thompson brothers as well. I was at Lou's wedding just a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was me. Naif, Geordie Turnbull and Luke have made the cut for that. So that was a, a really nice wedding. It was good to see them all as well. Um, but no, I, I, I get on with all of them. Johnny Goddard's another one that um, I speak to probably every day. He actually moved in with me when, 
when he signed for Swindon. So we lived together. Um, we've been on holiday a few times, and um, no, it was I, I got on with most of them. And if I if I see any of them now, I'd be absolutely buzzing to have a coffee and have a chat with them. Your initial games, well, you you come in in the closing stages of the uh, 2015-16 season, which is a bit of an awkward one for Swindon because we got to Wembley the year before, season before, mm. and we were stripped of of a lot of players. So a lot of the your teammates in that first year were just either the remaining players from the 2014-15 uh, season or players trying to fill the boots of of very popular players. But you come in, you make your debut in February 2016, uh, playing the whole uh, 90 minutes against Blackpool. Good 3-2 win. And then after that, I think, is it fitness or does Luke Williams decide to sort of... Sort of put you in and out of the squad nearer to the end of the season you're there just getting back to the routine of, of first team football yeah I think it was it was probably a case of that I think I remember there was one game where we I think it might have been my second game it was Peterborough away and we'd had we had a game coming up on the Tuesday and he needed to change the formation he took me off and said look I promise you you'll thank me for this because we've got another game Tuesday I hadn't played for a long time so yeah I think it was a case of that I think it was a case that Raffer at the time, I think, was coming in for me. He um, he was he was playing well, um, so it wasn't a case of you know I'd, I'd done anything wrong. I think it was just a bit of squad rotation. I think that Raffer obviously playing well, and and I feel like I was playing pretty well at the time as well. So it was uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't anything anything um, strange. It was just yeah, switching switching the squad around and. and uh, yeah, that was probably about it. It's never nice though being subbed at halftime because the fans just think you've had a stinker or something like that, or yeah. and you've been pulled. So when a manager sort of says, "Jamie, you're going to thank me for this later," I'd be like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> you're going to be on? Yeah. Are you going to be on social media later? Because they're not going to. I'm not going to go to them and go. Don't worry, guys. Luke said it was just tactical. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh. Yeah, Oh. Weirdly enough, I actually thought I played quite well in that first half. <laughs> so I was a bit, I thought I'd been dragged, but no, it was it was absolutely fine. And I started the next game, and I think we won that. I think it was Doncaster the next game, and we won that, and it was uh, a good win. Actually, it was a very good performance. I think we absolutely battered them. Yes, we did two 0 Lovely stuff. Last game of the season, Shrewsbury Town, comfortable victory. It was actually a. The last professional, the last football league game our current manager, which Richie Wellens, played in, actually. Um, Jordan Young scored late on. But you got injured, I always remember, because it was one of the biggest <laughs> shrieks I've ever heard, because you fell awkwardly. And I remember you played on for quite a long time after it as well, but you were in, you looked in so much pain throughout oh, the game. I know. That was just out of nowhere as well. I remember it. I was running, and the guy had managed to nick the ball, but he tripped me up at the same time. Yeah, I landed on my, my wrist really awkwardly and I thought at the time, oh, it's definitely broken. It has to be broken. So it started swelling up. I couldn't I couldn't move my fingers and it, was, it wasn't it was nice at all. So I just said to, I said to Luke, look, I've probably got to come off here because I don't know what's going on with my wrist. Um, and it was a nightmare because to start my holidays, I had to go and get an x-ray and wear, a, wear like a, a wrist brace for about three weeks, which wasn't nice, but uh, I managed to get through that one. Oh, it really is the worst time to get an injury, isn't it? The final oh. day. Of this... 
absolutely awful. <laughs> a few of the boys were going into London as well, and I had to tear off to the to the hospital to get an X-ray before I went out and met them for some for some food. Okay, so season two now. Um, I always get a little bit of stick for this because I kind of really emphasise the negative, and I don't mm. mean to bring these sort of things up, but. New season, if we look at pre-season, if we look at the facts, if we look at the games played, not many people played more minutes in pre-season than you in the summer of 2016. Out of the seven friendlies, you play 90 minutes in four of them, which is almost unheard of, really, um, in, in friendlies. And you, we have a good, nice little trip to Ireland to play Shelbourne and UCD as well. It looked like you were being totally geared towards that that sent that that first team spot for that that season. Yeah, I feel I feel that was that was the case, and and that's certainly something that Luke said to me, and um, he still says to me now. He said, you know, even before before the injury, even even now when I speak to him, that you know he was gearing me up to play every single game that year, and 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 hopefully for many more is what he says, and. And obviously Nathan was to leave at the end of that season, and he wanted me to sort of be the the next Nathan Thompson um, and, and mould me into that sort of type of player, which would have been absolutely incredible because uh, I think Nathan Thompson's career speaks for itself. But um, that 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 was the plan, and unfortunately, didn't exactly uh, go in the right direction. I think it was the seventh game, was it? Yeah, I mean, looking at. Your career from that well that season at the moment you you play every minute of the opening four games of the season. Um, you get injured. I think you missed the Peterborough and Oxford games. Um, and then yeah, you, I was away actually. Oh, in Northern Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, you would have yeah. been in Northern Ireland, of course. And and the, I think you're on standby for the Northern Ireland national team around this yeah. time as well. So this is where I was saying that I overemphasize this bloody negative because. Jamie Sendles White is finally there. He's 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 mm. locked in, and then and then Burry the Burry game comes in, yeah, and that is it. I know. I know. It, it, it like these things always do. It probably couldn't have happened at a worse time in my career because I felt that I was finally finding my feet. Loved playing football. Um, absolutely loved playing for Swindon, the club. I feel like I had a a, a very good relationship with the fans. And then, yeah, so early on in the season that, that in my head was going to be a huge, huge season for me. I ended up getting a horrific injury that sort of sent my career spiralling downwards. Do you remember the, the moment you got injured? Yeah, I do. I remember it. And I think for for a long while afterwards, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. I think it was, it was such an innocuous challenge, but the... Just the feeling, the pain, the sound of it was, um, yeah, it was it was absolutely horrible. And I remember at the time I tried to get up and try and, and say no, no, that was that was nothing, that was fine. And I, I I stood up and just felt that that between my quads and and like my calf, there was nothing there. It was just uh, absolutely horrible. I went down and I knew straight away that I'd done something um, very serious. Even when those 
those incidents, it's not the fault of the person who was involved as well. Do you sort of have that resentment? I'm talking about human nature here. I'm talking about, because, I mean, I wouldn't quite be Ace Ventura, you know, laces out and just have and just have a vendetta against Dan Marino for the rest of my life. But, but I mean, that guy, I mean, do you feel guilt when you in, injure players as a footballer? Because you would have probably, you're a centre-back, you'd probably put people out for a couple of weeks or months here or there, yeah. not deliberately. But do you have that guilt? Do you, you feel obliged to send messages or do you, it's just part of the game? No, I definitely I definitely would. I've never touched wood. I've never put, um, put anyone out for a substantial amount of time, I don't think, anyway. But it's certainly something, having been through what I've been through now, with the injury, um, it's something that I'd feel awful for if I was to, to to injure someone like that. Weirdly enough, I actually knew the guy that did it to me, Zeli Ishmael. It was, and we when we were youth team, we we were part of like a Premier League. One player from every Premier League team went out to South Africa, and he was from Wolves, and I was from QPR. So I'd known him from before, and I knew he was pretty dopey. But um, to do what he did, I, I didn't think he had that in him. But no, he uh, he came to me straight after the game, and and obviously said that he was so sorry, and then messaged me again when when uh, it was confirmed what I'd actually done to my knee. So I know he felt terrible for it, but you do you do get you do get you do go for a stage of anger. Certainly, and I think a few months in, I, I definitely wanted to maybe give him a little jab to the face or something. But he, uh, it, it, that that soon passes, and you realise that it's all absolute accident, and it's it's unfortunately part of the game. What are the days, the weeks, and the months like after a serious injury like that for a pro footballer? Very, very, very testing. I'd be lying if if I was to sit here now and say that. I didn't have times through that uh, 12-month period probably where I thought that I wouldn't ever play again, that maybe I didn't want to play again because of what I'd been through, because of the pain that you go through and just the, the complications that I had, I think, made it very difficult as well. Obviously, I had the first operation and I think it was two months till I could come off crutches. It was probably about six weeks until I could maybe do anything and, and get up out of bed and go for a coffee even. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculously testing uh, physically and mentally, especially when I had obviously the first operation, which was bad enough as it, as it was. And then I was told that I needed a second operation. Um, and then on my birthday in April, I was told I needed my third operation. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's mentally and physically draining and, um, you do have times in that period where you, you, you do get into some very dark places that, that I don't think the majority of, of probably football fans would think of because they sort of see you on a Saturday in a, at the county ground or wherever it is. And then they go home, do their normal lives. And then they, they, they might see you the next Saturday or they might not see you for, 12 months and then they see you back on the pitch again. They don't, I don't think they really see what actually goes on behind the scenes and um, and how actually tough it is. For sure. And you, you mentioned that Luke Williams was brilliant during that time. What are the teammates like? Because I know I've, I've, I've read articles in, in some some generations, they, they saw these 
huge injuries is bad luck. So they sort of distance themselves from mm. like seriously injured footballers in because they fear that they might be next. It really sounds really silly, but superstition in football is not exactly a rare thing. The PFA, do they help as well during that stage? Because, like you said, these are this is a dark place you go. This is your career. It's no different for any anyone. When when you're unable to do your job, especially when you're on a one year contract, you know you've 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 got nothing but your thoughts, haven't you? So how yeah. how were you supported beyond Luke Williams, and what was it like? The 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 group of lads that were were at Swindon at the time were 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 amazing. You know, a lot of them would go out their way to come and see me, just to spend a bit of time with me because they know I can't do much. The like Luke Ross Embleton, another 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 person that I uh, hold in very high regard. He's been he was amazing with me away from football. You know, you've obviously got your family, um, your friends, but I, I honestly think that that in those times, I don't think there's there's many people on on this earth that could uh, could help you. It, it, it's just really is. It's it's something that you you can't you can't do anything. You can't do your day to day stuff. And most of all, you can't even play football, which is what you love doing. And you you, you know the PFA the PFA help. I went to St George's Park twice, I think, and I was offered a third one, which really you're only allowed one trip there, I think, a season. But because mine was was uh was so bad they they managed to get me another one and then also said that my second one that if you want to come back again you can come back and use the facilities here and do like a, a four day four day course there of, of rehab um the, the pfa help a lot with especially now with with the mental health side of the game um they they, they provided they provided me with with like um a therapist to see to make sure that i was you know not getting not getting into a too dark place, but like I said, I don't think that in those times there's many people, many therapists, many things you can do that will help. You just want to be back out playing football, um, and and uh, it, it's it's when you, when you can't, it's um, not a nice place to be. And it probably doesn't help that you've got to witness a horror show of a season as well as your as your sat on the sidelines. Yeah, I know it. It, I think any footballer will say it's never nice having to watch a game for for the team that you play for and not being able to influence it. I mean, I, not at all for a second am I sat here saying that if I was playing, we wouldn't have been in that situation. But it's just horrible knowing that I could have done absolutely nothing about it and I couldn't have been out with him, with, with the boys sort of fighting every game to to try and secure the League One status. Um so yeah, I, I I tried my hardest to get to majority of games and try and support the boys as best I could. But like I said, there's very little you can do when you're sat in the stands watching. Yeah, Swindon were comprehensively relegated that season. Um, now my memory of this, as somebody who spends far too much time looking on a, a Swindon forums and social <laughs> media, um, was that it was harsh to release you without having a sort of a come back for summer and see how you are, especially as we're down, we've not got much to lose, half the squad are going. The feeling was, regardless of your ability, it seemed kind of cruel to let you go. Would you mm. agree with that or would you say it's, you know, it's fair dues? Uh, no, I think obviously from a from a selfish point of view, I thought it was, it was very harsh, but 
at the same time, I know that the club was definitely in transition. Luke and Ross had obviously left, which I think would have been a main part of me staying. Uh, Luke had obviously said, Luke said to me the day that I did my knee um, after the game in the tunnel, he said, don't worry, like we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that, that everything's okay with you and we'll look after you and make sure that you, you know, of that security of, of another contract. I even remember there's a picture, there's a picture of me and Luke when I'm on the stretcher coming off, he's holding my arm and he says, he said to me at that time, he said, don't worry, we'll look after you which I knew I knew he would, but obviously the circumstances meant that he was leaving and so was Ross. So that changed everything there. Um, so, yeah, from, from a selfish point, I thought it was incredibly harsh because, like, I've, I think I've probably made very clear through social media and whatever I've, whenever I've spoke about Swindon, it's a club that I fell in love with and I, I wouldn't have done anything to have, have stayed and, and at least given it another go to see whether I could get back to, to the levels and standards that I was before. Um, but at the same time, the club was in transition. It it was uh, it had just been relegated. I wasn't priority for the club, which I do understand. And I understand that, you know, one player can't, coming back from an injury, can't be, um, you know, the main focus, especially in that situation. So I do understand their reasons for, but I would have done anything to have stayed. Hoddle and Moncair combining in the middle of the field. Now David Kersley. Good ball for Ling. Good effort. Yes! Three minutes to half-time. Martin Ling's first goal of the season gives Swindon Town the lead. Linking up with former town assistant Ross Embleton at Leighton Orient was, was a great fit for you. Yeah, it was it was absolutely perfect. I mean, I spoke to Ross quite a lot over the summer, and he mentioned that that he was probably going to be going there. So he said, "Look, you, if I'm there, then you've got a very good chance of being there." Obviously, with Martin Ling being there as well with the Swindon link, um, that helped as well. So yeah, it, it was uh, it was probably the, on paper the perfect perfect move for me. But obviously, I think. You've probably seen some of the situations that might have happened there, so it didn't uh, it didn't work out. Do you know what? No, I don't. What well, you haven't seen it? No, no. Okay. Well, there's a yeah. There was a there was a situation that happened, and uh, I think that probably spelt the end of my time there in a in a in a roundabout way. <laughs> I'm, gu- I'm guessing you want me to divulge in it now. I'm gonna make you. <laughs> um, so yeah, we. We, the, the club was on a terrible run of form. I think we hadn't won in something like 10, 11 games. I personally was finding extremely hard to to get back into the flow of things. I, was, I wasn't 100%. I was trying to find my feet after my knee. And, and if anything, to be honest with you, and it sounds, it sounds quite silly, I was just very happy to be back playing again. Um, and Because I, I, like I said, there were times, especially... When I had the third operation, I thought I'm never going to get back here. Like I, I, I don't think I'll be playing football again. So I was just happy to be back playing. Although at the time I was finding it hard to to do the things that I'd been able to do before, and it was it was definitely a, a testing time in terms of my football. Um, I was just happy to be back playing, and it's 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 just sort of typical that at that time the club the Orient was having a, a tough time. They'd been relegated. The club. 
I know there was a, a real issue the, the season before and there was a lot of very raw feelings going on with the fans. So we'd been on the bad run of form and after the game I was getting not just me, there were a few there were a few of the boys getting some very bad abuse, Brophy being one of them as well. He was getting quite a bit, which I think he's probably quite used to <laughs> from his time at Swindon, but we won't we won't touch on that. But he was getting quite a bit and I think there were some of the things that had been said. It was a it was a um, Ebb's fleet, so they're very close. They're, I don't know if you've ever been, but the fans are very close to the pitch behind the goal, and you can hear a lot of what they were saying. And some some very horrible stuff was being said towards me that I don't feel that that any that any person really should be subject to that, but. You know that sometimes that is that is what football's like, and I was getting some very bad abuse, and something sort of touched the nerve that probably should repeat, and it was uh, I reacted quite badly to it, which I know I shouldn't have done. I, I should have just walked away and got in, but um, the the emotions were running high. We just lost, and I reacted in a way I definitely shouldn't have done, which I think in a roundabout way probably saw the end of my time at Orient. I'm not a vocal football fan. I'm a stand there with my arms folded or my hands in my pockets. I'm like that when I go to gigs. I like that when I go to <laughs> football matches. I could be, I'm, I'm stood there with my hands in my pockets looking miserable, but I could be having the time of my life. But I, when, I, when I'm at these games, I'm always observing what's going on around me. I always am. Sometimes it's more entertaining than the game itself. And <laughs> football fans, we're, we're a funny old thing, really, because we we feel like there's a there's a force field and we feel that, well, a lot of us feel that we can say whatever we want. And the, the thing that always get thrown back at, at people that are sensitive to this to this topic, they say, I pay to get yeah. in. I can. But if you look at a football ticket, there's two things that really wind me up about modern football, especially. It doesn't say that you can say absolutely awful things. To, yeah. to a footballer, you can slag them off, no problem. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you, some, you know, there's a line and people overstep it. And they also, football tickets don't also say that if you lose 6-0, you, you can get a refund. And that's something that I really yeah. hate nowadays, like football football clubs refunding fans. I mean, I should be, like, supportive of that. But it, I'm like, when I, when I buy a ticket yeah. for Swindon, I don't buy a ticket expecting them to win. I hope they win and, and I hope mm. they don't lose. But, but... Football fans, we, we, I mean, we get creative with our criticism, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've definitely heard some some very strange uh, <laughs> insults thrown, not not so much my way, but I've heard some strange ones, and I just think, what on earth made you say that? But it, it, it for for good or for bad, it is it is part of the game, and you do get some fans that that feel that that's the the way to behave. And, and I'm sure I can almost guarantee you that away from the, the game, they're probably a nice person. And you could sit down and have a chat with them and a coffee with them. But for whatever reason, football makes people act like some people act a bit silly. <laughs> I found it interesting that you mentioned the, the stick that, that Brophy used to get at Swindon. Now, you don't have to go into a huge amount of detail with that. <laughs> but what I enjoy, what, what immediately sprang to mind is the, the notion of you guys sat in the changing rooms that, or. or in the week just saying did you hear what that guy said you know <laughs> yeah no, i think i think we uh you know occasionally we share the abuse that we've been given over the years and i think social media as well is a, a platform where 
I feel like social media is a good thing in football because I feel that you can connect with the fans and and you know you 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 can build that sort of it's it's almost like a, a friendship with the fans really because at the end of the day that without the fans football would be would wouldn't be great it would just be going to an empty stadium and what and, and no one would be there and it'd be no atmosphere so I um I think it, 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 it is a positive but on the other hand you do get some people that have a, probably a bit too much free time in their day and they they, they think that uh that abusing you and whatever they might say is uh is the right thing to do but yeah we do spend a little bit of time <laughs> going through our twitter feeds and showing each other some of the abuse some of the abuse I think social media wise, I think footballers should probably have like two accounts, one for private and one yeah. one for football. I know a lot, especially the sort of top level um, footballers do have that so they can share photos. I mean, in at time of recording, uh, Lingard and Rashford are getting a lot of stick for having the audacity of being 20 somethings on holiday, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can't in... believe they've done that. What are they playing at? <laughs> exactly. It's like, how dare they? They're showing the view and they're yeah. talking like mid 20 somethings. The very shame yeah. of it. But at the same time, that, I mean, there are things in the football stand which are completely acceptable, which are a stick that you know that there are but there is a line and I'm not going to tell you where I think the line is because people say well that's hypocritical I think there are things you can do and can't do but people know when they're when they're doing something bad and I still think that is the case you do hear some very very funny stuff um in the stands even if it's not offensive it's it's yeah, I mean, I remember the town end losing its mind one one game because the goalkeeper was called Gherkin, Dean Gherkin, who um, still plays. And uh, one fan just found that so funny. We lost 3-0. He, kept, he keeps a clean sheet, but this guy just kept going um, on the basis that his name was Gherkin. But, you know, that's that's, that's yeah. it. <laughs> but that's that's football and that's football fans. You finished that year at St. Albans, which um, yeah. is down another level, but at least you got a couple of goals. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know what came over me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I seem to find my put my shooting boots on. But no, that was... Um, yeah, letting or, uh, sorry, St. Albans was, was something that came about. I... I'd flirted with the idea because at the time when I left Orient, not only was, you know, it probably wasn't going to work out for me or in uh, the, the first season after my knee injury and my body was certainly feeling the effects of it. I was picking up niggles. I couldn't, I couldn't shake off a few um, injuries that I'd had. So I'd left Orient and I thought that, I can go down one of two ways. I can say, look, let's rest up and get myself ready for next season. Because I think I was there for maybe six weeks, something like that. Four to six weeks, I'm not too sure. But Or I can go somewhere, play some games and make sure that people know that my knee's fine, I'm fit and I'm ready to go. Um, so I chose that one. I thought that would be better off. And it was a situation that the manager had actually called me, uh, the assistant manager, and said that they don't have any money, but would I like to come down and play some games? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll come and do that and, and make sure I, I keep myself ticking over. So that was the situation with that one. Nice to get a couple of goals. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, 
yeah, no, I, I wanted to make sure that people knew my knee was fine and that I was that I wasn't sort of knackered really, um, and that I could that I could carry on playing. That was the the thought behind that one. Were they five yard thunderbolts? <laughs> they were incredible. Uh, first time finishes <laughs> from about one yard out. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind. People miss them. Here's Foley. Far side is Bowden. Bowden's cross. Up in the air. Bellgate. Punches away. Comes to McLaren who hits it through a crowd of players and he's found a net. That could well be the winning goal with just three and a half minutes remaining of extra time. Ross McLaren, his third goal of the season, second in the Littlewoods Cup, through a crowd of Bolton players and into the back of the net. On the Swindon front, you you had yourself quite a fan base. Were you aware yeah. of it that that it, it it got to the point when it it would it would kind of wind up other fans that <laughs> yeah. there were there were there is there is a there is a segment especially again we have to talk about social media but there is a segment that were obsessed with you coming back. And uh, why do you think that was? Is it the lovely I- smile? <laughs> yeah, it must be. It must be the nice smile. I don't know. I, I'm very, very grateful for it because it's it's um it's a very nice feeling. And anyone, any footballer will say it, whether they're at the top, the bottom. It's probably any, for anyone in any walk of life to feel wanted and loved. Um, I don't know the reason. I, I'd, I'd like to hope that it was because um, I... You know, I've made it very clear that I do. I'd love the club, and and I'd do anything to play for it. Um, I feel that when I was playing, I I gave, you know, hundred percent and gave everything I could and, and tried my best for the club. Um, I like to hope that's that's the reason why, but it might be because I'm I'm a good looking lad and they want me back. I don't know. Well, <laughs> in 2018, you did something that not many people, if any, have done before, and that. You, you come back as a trialist. Yeah. I remember there was a phone in with Phil Brown, and and the the, the caller said, "You've got to get Jamie Sendles White in," and <laughs> and he was like, "Okay." I don't know if you were already in discussions with him, but he was like, "All right, well, we'll, we'll see what we can do." And I remember seeing you with James Brophy. One of you had a burger in your hand uh, at the game against Accrington Stanley. <laughs> that, that was definitely broke. That was not me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you are still around, as you said. It's consistent what you've been saying. You, you love going to the club. You've got friends there. Brilliant. Mm. Was the was the trial already locked in before that phone in, or was it just one of these coincidences? Actually, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> no, it was, uh, I know. I came to do the came to do the radio actually before the Accrington game so I did the radio it was only a short bit before the game so I did that and watched the game went on my holidays sort of doing anything of it and then I managed a a guy that I know in the game spoke to Phil Brown and and brought me up um, and Phil Brown said to give him a call so uh, I spoke to him uh, on the phone I came to Swindon to meet him for a coffee before the season started um, and I wasn't sure it went really well and I, I wasn't sure at the time whether it was 
he he was hoping to be able to offer me something or whether it was come in and let's have a look sort of thing. Um, obviously, it turned out that he wanted me to come in and train for a little while and play a couple of games, and it didn't work out. But I, uh, I, I hope that it's not because I'm not the same again. I, I'd like to hope that I'll be able to get back to that standard that I was at before and that level. But I, I, I think it was probably because he was looking for a slightly different type of centre-half than what I am. Mm. Yeah, those two games that you played were the wins against Siren Sister and Melksham. I saw you play just about over an hour against Melksham, and it's really hard to gauge whether... I'm not the most tactically-minded football fan, if if I'm honest with you, but you had a solid game. But how can you not have a solid game against a team yeah. like Melksham? And you seemed... Because I was, I was keeping an eye on you, because it's a fascinating thing that, that, that you're coming back, and... You were you were dominant and you did you were you were in control of the back four. You were working with Chris Robertson that day, who's hugely experienced player, not with Swindon unfortunately, but um, had loads of loads of games behind him. Um, and then they went off on the next age of pre-season. But how do you stand out? Is it more the training element of a trial than the match where you where you need to stand out as a footballer? Um. I think it's definitely the games, mm-hmm. but I think going in on trial is a uh, is a tough, tough thing to do because I think you're going in there as a no, and they that you're going in there for them to say no, and you have to do something out of the ordinary to make them turn their heads. Um, now I, f- I feel that when I went in, I trained really well and I did well in the games, but at centre half, it's very hard to do anything crazy in a ga- in the games that, that, that we played, Sirencester and Melksham. It's no disrespect to those two teams, but I think it's quite hard to, you know, I don't know if you're expected to run the pitch and score a goal from 30 yards. I, I don't know, but it's a very, very uh, tough experience because, um, you know, like I said, they probably already have targets that they want the managers which is absolutely fine that's football and they have players that they want to bring in so for you to go in you have to be miles ahead of what they're planning on signing um which is again that's just the nature of football um and unfortunately it didn't work out for me that that's that that uh second time round really interesting what you're saying about um the trial element that you're going in as a no and I mean it's not harsh to say you've spent a couple of summers in your career waiting for the phone to ring yeah what is the summer like for footballers who are free agents and have to go through the trial phase are you are you just completely focused because usually I've in the past I've talked to goalkeepers about this and that that sounds like bloody hell to be honest because there's only one goalkeeper on the pitch and only two or three in the squad full stop what what is it like wondering from week to week whether there's a career in this uh, or whether I've got because you're you're looking into other areas of football yourself so you mm. you must be at a stage now where you're like maybe if I can get a national league I'd love to go into the back into the football league but I've got to have things to fall back on yeah, I think it's a it's it's a strange one over the summer where you're where you know you're going to be looking for a club. You you go on your holidays. You, 
most of the time you'll get them done. You go away quite early on in, in your break, get away, switch off. And I always find that when I'm actually on holiday, I, I don't think about anything. I'm just there whether I'm with whoever, my girlfriend or my mates or whatever it is. You switch off and you don't think about anything. And you, the second the plane lands back in England, it's sort of reality and you go, right, okay, I need to get myself a club here. Where's it coming from? Where am I going to be? Um, you, you try and keep an eye on what managers are getting what jobs and you, um, speaking to your agent sort of almost every day, really, waiting for him to, to call up and say that, that there's a club that's offered you. So, yeah, it's, it's a very strange one and it is a stressful time for any player that's out of contract and, and they're, they're desperate to get in whatever level they're at, I'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, not, it's not a summer that you can just fully relax on and switch off. Um, so, yeah, I think that was probably one part of the reason why I've, I've um, ventured out a little bit and tried to start this company up, I think. Um, the other reason was probably when I did do money and I thought, wow, football can be taken away so quickly. I want to have something else there alongside my football because there's no way on earth that I want to to finish playing at 25. That, that, that you know, I don't think I'd I'd probably look at look at myself and say that I've probably failed in what I set out to do. So there's no way on earth that I want to sit here and go right. Okay, I'll finish with football and focus 100% on the company that that I've I've started up. So yeah, I think a lot of players do. I think a lot of players look elsewhere um, to sort of more more to set themselves up for after football than than trying to get out or trying to earn a few quid. Because yeah, of course it's nice to earn a few quid away from football, but. It's it's just something that um, I would probably say goes for a lot of players' heads. Probably as they get a little bit older, um, they start to think about that. Mm. Well, let's go back to football because last season you you stayed in the sixth tier. Um, but if you're going to do it, do it with Torquay United because there's no way on earth they should have ever been at that level of the football mm. pyramid. Um, how did you find that season down in Devon? It's uh, I found it enjoyable. It was. Um, it's a nice place to live. Um, well, in the summer, it's a nice place to live. <laughs> in the winter, it's a bit. It's, it's uh, you might as well be in Aberdeen Beach, I think, in the, in, the, uh, in the winter. But no, it's a nice place to live. It's a very chilled out place. Um, it's a humongous club for that level of football. And yeah, it was it was a it was a good experience because I was a you know playing games and winning games most weeks was is a, a nice feeling any player will say that that there's not really many feelings like winning a game of football so it was nice and to top it off by winning the league was um yeah it was a, a nice touch I, I went to university in Devon down in Plymouth so I can completely confirm that Devon in the summer is glorious now I went I went to Plymouth because my now wife was there so I kind of just followed so it was a bit different for me but what they do or what they used to do at University of Plymouth is they used to do their open days right in the middle of summer and they take you to all these lovely parts of the city where it's just like 
I'm going to be in my flip-flops all year long. And then September hits and it's just rain just yeah, all the yeah, way through yeah. until until May again. I remember disappointing, disappointed surf dudes always uh, um, looking sad uh, around Plymouth around that time. Um, this is an opportunity for you to now say something nice about a Swindon Town legend called Sean Taylor, who would have worked, you would have worked with um, at yeah, Torquay. Yeah. So if you're going to say something bad, I'm going to disconnect because he's my no, absolute no, hero. No, he's, uh, he's some guy, Sean. He's a he's a great guy. He's great to have around, and uh, you know, I uh, every every day when I went in, I used to uh, say to him, "Morning, Swindon legend." <laughs> so uh, and no, I've not I've not forgotten that he's a he's a legend of Swindon and no he's a great guy to have around and uh, it's, it's it's it was sort of a pleasure to be you know be able to speak to him and talk to him. I, me and him used to speak about Swindon all the time and he he was very very fond of the club. So I think it was a it was a, a nice conversation. I think if any if any Swindon fan had heard that the conversations that me and him had, uh, I think they, they might buy us a few few drinks or two. Passing my details, I need to talk to Sean. Uh, <laughs> seriously, do. I saw you play for Torquay. I saw you play for Torquay away at Chippenham Town. And let's say that performance from Torquay that day was the epitome of a team that won the league the week before. I think it's safe to say that's probably the case, yeah. <laughs> um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a great game for us. It was, a, it was we'd, I think we'd had a few days off. Um, <laughs> We might or might not have had a few uh, few uh, jars of beer, so yeah, it was a very hot day as well, which certainly didn't help us. <laughs> uh, but no, it was um, a good seasonal round, and that game was just, you know, I think I think it was probably inevitable that it might not have been one of our best games after the the week we just had. It's fair enough. Now, as we begin to close this conversation. Um, What's next for you? So what what level are you looking at? Are you constantly looking? Because we've just had a case where a Bath City centre-back has just joined Bristol City. So we're, we're at this sort of... Do you, Is that still the hope that the Football League comes calling? Or are you looking at just anywhere that's professional at the moment, keeping it within the the London area? Are you willing to move out? Is Do you fancy a move to Sweden? What, what, what next for... Uh, yourself i'd i'd absolutely love to get back into the football league and that is definitely my goal whether that's whether that's this season whether that's you know in two seasons time i'd absolutely love to get back there and like i said i think i've got that sort of same mentality as what i had when i was coming through qpr just let's how far can i get how far can i go so yeah I, i'm desperate to get back in the football league i think national league still a, a good league to be in um, it's a very, very testing league. So again, I'd, I'd, I'd have no problem with with going there. Um, but the the long term goal for me is definitely to be to get back into the to the football league at some point. Location wise, I've grown very fond of the West Country, so I wouldn't mind staying <laughs> staying in that region somewhere. But yeah, I don't know. I just wait and see. Wait and see what comes up. Fingers crossed. It's uh, somewhere in the West Country that I can go to. You be careful where you sign, Jamie. Nah, you be don't there. worry, I, I, I know my limits. I know where I'm not allowed to go. I won't say on here, but I think we both know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, keep those cards close to your chest. So let's finish up with on a, on, a, on a nice nostalgic note. So you had a year at Swindon. 
what are the memories and the hijinks that you that you look back and think of most fondly? In in a footballing sense? Both. Okay, I think my my time in football there, I think like I said before, it's a a club that I look back on and, and say that safely say that that's the best time I've ever had in football. Whether that be on the pitch, the way we played with Luke and Ross, uh, with the boys there training, um, it was it was every day I'd wake up and be desperate to get in to the to the to the training ground where I just knew it was going to be a good day. Whether you know whether my team lost in the five sides or whatever, I knew that it was going to be an enjoyable day where I got on with everyone, um, and obviously. I had my little, well, I do have now my little fan base as well in Swindon, so <laughs> that that always helps. Um, away from the away from football, I'm trying to think of a a PG <laughs> um, PG reason why what I look back on. Um, I think that just it, it was. It was all based around the football, really. Away from football, we'd go to, I'd probably say every day, maybe probably four or five days a week, I'd go to Balula's, if you know where Balula's is, the little cafe. Um, We'd go there, there'd be, you know, maybe two of us, maybe just me and Johnny Goddard one day, um, or um, maybe like five, six of us. We'd sit there for hours talking. Um, we'd probably go back to where where we all live and then maybe everyone would come round to the flat and watch the football or have dinner or go to Nando's together. So I've never I've never had that at a football club where there's so many people that are so close by that all want to do the same thing and all have the same interests and the same banter. So that's probably it. And... And living with Johnny Goddard as well was a uh, was a uh, was a very fun experience. Um, probably one of the most cultured men that I think I've ever ever come across. Uh, he had every morning. Uh, I'll probably say it wasn't every morning, but he got he's very into his coffee. And he, I probably say he's to blame for the fact that I can't go a day without a coffee at the minute. Um, <laughs> But we'd wait, I'd wake up to the smell and to the sound. He'd, he'd got this like coffee grain grater or coffee bean grater, sorry. And uh, it made the most horrific sound. Every morning he was up, bounced up, went into the kitchen. And I could just hear from my room this stupid sound of coffee getting grounded and the smell. Uh, and I'd walk in every morning and I'd just say, you hacking away at that stupid machine again? <laughs> So no, I've got some I've got some fond memories, um, and and like I said, it's a it's a time in, in probably my life as well where I've had I've had the most fun, and I've 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 sort of loved every second of it. If you if you take away that that injury, I've absolutely loved it. Jamie, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys. It's a grand old team to play for. It's a grand old team to see. What the hell do we care? Cause we only know that there's gonna be a show and the wind and town will be there. <laughs> Hi Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy. Or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 